I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hey. Hi. How are you? Hey, you guys. How are you guys doing? How's your Tuesday? Happy Tuesday. Happy freaking Tuesday or whatever day of the week you are listening to this on. Happy murder day to you. No, that sounds ominous. That um, sounds so creepy. <laughs> Ooh. Happy podcast to you. Yes. Yeah. That's better. Where are we hanging out with you guys? I like to ask this periodically. Are you in the car? You doing your makeup? Oh, if you're like me, you are definitely getting ready. Or you're like D getting ready, ungetting yes. ready. You're taking your makeup off. You're brushing your little teethers. Oh, the the nighttime routine, the cleanse, the moisturize, the serum. You're doing all the good good, mm-hmm. but you're listening to some good good. You know Speaking what I mean? Speaking of, um, all of you need a good skincare routine, just period. Take That's- care of it. That's a necessity. So, okay. I found these common threads, right? Yeah. I have no idea if there's any science behind this at all. So I say I've found these common threads and that it occurred to me mm-hmm. and I'm rolling with it. Sure. So us podcast girlies, right? Yes. Us true crime peoples. Yes. And girlies is like for everybody. Like of you're course. all a yeah, true yeah. crime girly. Um, we are the mom friend. Yep. The responsible one. Yes. We are the hold the friend's hair back when they're not feeling too hot. And we are the ones that are intentionally not going nuts because we're just a little too afraid of what if. And we're the share your location. So like we're that friend, right? Mm -hmm. We're also the cat people. Often. Like in a gathering, we'll find the pets. Yes. We're going to pet the cats. We're going to snug the dog. Oh, my gosh. We're going to hang out with all the good boys and girls. Okay. Yes. We're also the skincare people. And I don't know why it's this like Venn diagram, but we all meet up in the middle and it's yeah. true crime podcast people. I don't I don't, you don't know. make the rules. I don't but I think you're right. I do play by them. I think that um, if you meet any of those and not all of them, that's fine. But like maybe give the other ones a shot. We all seem to like it. So but I think there's that common thread where like a lot of us, if you like one, you probably like the other one. I don't know what I don't know what the science is. Don't ask um, me. If I may. Yeah. Does that just sound like generalized anxiety disorder to you, babes? Because oh, it does to me. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about things that haven't happened yet. What can I do to prevent things that haven't happened yet? Also, people, ew, pets. <laughs> what if I get skin cancer? I have to put on moisturizer. And that's really a good segue into today's sponsor, which is BetterHelp. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, therapy is for everyone. Go get it. Um. But do look into where you're getting it from. Don't chat to some AI bot. They don't have a degree. Yeah, don't do that whole thing. It also kind of takes the humanity out of it, which is kind of the point of it. So yeah. yeah. So there's that. Um, I love that. I think you're right. Thank you. Where are you guys on it? Let us know. Maybe we'll put a little question down below on Spotify. See where you're at. But just so you guys know, both of the kitties are looking out the window right now. Like they're waiting for their husband to come back from war and... Ollie just put his little paw up. Oh, you guys, did we fill you in that Allie did, in fact, get her kitten? Yes, you guys are aware that little Oliver is home and he is a complete basket case. (laughs) And I adore him. Allie and I were having a sleepover this last week. And um, he was trying to move the immovable pad on top of his cat tree to the point that he, like, flung himself off of it trying to move he was hanging from his teeth and like he 
he would hang with one, like his back two legs and his front paw and then like use another the other paw to like try to turn it and everything he literally looked like king kong like swatting at planes this guy was insane i was cackling about it it was so good um but then he took a nap on abby and it was always right with the world you know he really likes crochet yes yes i will have to feature him on our instagram page about yes. time for true crime pod with periods in between the words That's, no, I'm kidding. no just kidding um but yes yeah, so you guys can see the cute little love bug that we're talking about and then of course we have mia who is um mia my Bean. sweet baby child does no wrong just wants to snug and give you headbutts and tell stories she's a classic um oldest yes 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 and he is like the menacing little brother who like doesn't let her sleep no nope. doesn't let her do anything but you know what she really does love him yeah it's really so, cute she also took a nap on me, and I took both of those as victories. Oh, because they were entirely victories. Oh, they yes. were the sweetest, happiest things in the world. But a really good juxtaposition to that oh, no. <laughs> is the horrible true crime case I have for you today. Okay. Let me... Are we going to go right into it? I think we should. Yeah, All let's right. do it. You guys, buckle in with me, because I don't know what we're doing yet. It's time. It's time, so skippers, stop skipping. It's time for true crime, you guys. It's come it's on <coughs> about time. It is about time for true for crime. true crime. So please, if you could um, stop skipping. So anyway, hey, hi, hello, and welcome back hi. to your favorite true crime podcast. You guys didn't have to say that. <gasps> about time for true crime pod. Yes. Wow. So <laughs> first of all, we just have to say that we absolutely love, adore, and appreciate hanging out with you. In this little tiny corner of the true crime world that we have. So cute. So fun. Um, I do have to remind you to please keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the podcast at all times. It's for your safety and ours. Okay. Come on. Um, because <laughs> this is going to be a bumpy ride. Now at the top, I have to give you some sources because you know I'll forget if I don't. And Hell if yeah. you guys were wondering, they're all included below. So if you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to, but you can check those out. So... Uh, we used the Toledo Blade, Daily Mail, Dispatch.com, an episode of Crime and Coffee Couple, which Ooh. I do like, uh, lots from the Sandusky Register, Oxygen's Homicide for the Holidays, if that gives you any away, oh. Fox News, Justice.gov, and WTOL.com. Okay. Okay. So we got quite the array. I like to watch things, listen to things, read things. All of the above. All of it. Yeah. You know? So... You guys know because you clicked it. Abby does not know. No. That today we are actually talking about a family massacre. Oh, really fun. Thank you. A family massacre that happened on Halloween, which if you will remember is like right around the corner, which is kind of why I chose this case. <gasps> That's so spooky and seasonal. Isn't it? More specifically, we're going to be talking about Sunday, October 31st, 2010. Whoa, okay. So if I do the symbolist of math correctly, that is actually 13 years ago. So spooky numbers, spooky spooky day, all kinds of spoop. Oh my. And we're going to be talking about Martin, Ohio. (laughs) I don't... You know where that is? No, I thought... I don't... Okay, I... It's been a day, you guys. I really thought you were going to say Martin Luther King Jr. And I was like, why? That's correct. No, it's not... (laughs) Um, in 2010, no shit. Okay. Um, so yeah, so Martin, Ohio. Yeah. In Martin, Ohio. Ottawa, place. Ottawa County. Okay. This county in particular was known as a very, very safe place. Like you could raise your kids there. You could move there. You could have everything. Oh. I will say not very populated. Lots of farmland. 
A lot of the Midwest is, babe. If you like to fish and hunt and do all outdoorsman kinds of things, and this was the place for you. It had a lot of like these little cottages that you could rent on Lake Erie and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, from 2001 to 2010, there were only five murders in the entire county. Holy hell. And we're going to be talking about three of them today. Okay. Wait, three? Three. Shit. Okay. Three. That is a safe place. I know. Okay. Anyway, keep going. So we're going to start with Devin Griffin. Okay. Okay. And so the family that we're talking about is the Liskey family and the Griffin family. They're a blended family. So okay. some of them have the last name Griffin, but they're all one house. Yep. One house, one love. Okay. Yeah. Yours, in- mine, and ours. Until one dreadful day. Now, Devin was 16 years old and sure. had spent the previous night, so the Saturday into the Sunday, the 30th into the 31st, away from home. Away this from- is Devin Griffin. Devin Griffin. Okay. 16 years old. All right. He had spent that night away. The next morning, he was at his mom's house. Okay. So he stopped by home um, because he had to go to church. As you do. So he had to change. Yeah. So swung by, went to church, hit a little church choir, actually, like a little Ooh. recital, if you will, a little performance, which wasn't very nice. He walked in the house. Mm-hmm. Halloween morning. He's got a pretty tight knit family. Okay. When he walked in, he didn't see his mom, he didn't see his stepdad or his brother or anything like that. So he thought that was kind of odd because it was Sunday morning, but he did know that they'd actually hosted a Halloween party the night before. Ah. So he just figured they were sleeping in. Yeah. So he didn't really hear the hustle and bustle that he probably would have heard on a different Sunday morning. And there was no laundry going in the wash and there wasn't like the sound of the sink in the kitchen. There was just silence. Also, for those of you who grew up going to church, you know the last minute rush before you're supposed to leave. Like everybody's throwing on their shoes. Someone's yelling about breakfast. Someone else is like, get in the car. We're going to be late. The funny thing is, is I think so all of the family typically went to this Lutheran church. They all went to yeah. the same one. But on this particular morning, maybe because they had hosted the party the night before, it was only Devin that was going. Oh, okay. So it wasn't this planned thing for all of them to go because maybe that would have alerted him to right. something. But he just ran in, changed his shirt, and he's like, I got to look presentable and I got to go. It's true. And also, depend. okay, I'll be done with the church analytics in a minute, but... There's also like multiple services at multiple churches. So either they probably were like, screw it, we're sleeping in for the first service. Or maybe they went to like a Saturday night one or something. But yeah, it could have been any of those things. But he had this But he was on he the way out. Yeah. Yes. So we're just going to leave this here. So this is just him chilling okay. in the house. We're going to meet the family. Sure. Okay. As I said, they were a blended family. Okay. So Susan and Bill. It's William. Susan and William. But I'm going to say Sue and Bill. Okay. Okay. Because that's what they went by. That's what friends and family and loved ones called them. And I feel like I know them now. All right. So you're friends. So (laughs) they had gotten married nine years earlier. So this was in 2001. And each of them had children from previous marriages. Okay. So Sue entered the marriage with her two sons, Devin and Derek. So Devin was the 16 year old we just talked about. Derek at this time is 23. Oh, okay. Sue married William again, who went by Bill. And it's Bill Liskey. So Bill also had a son, also named William, but he went by BJ, which I'm assuming is like Bill Jr. Yeah. So BJ. So we're going to, from from here to four or whatever the fuck, <laughs> from here on out, we're going to call him BJ, okay? Sure. So that's how we'll distinguish them. But BJ was 24 years old at this time. Because again, we're talking about 2010. Now, okay. 
Like I said, Sue had been married to the father of her children before and had divorced a few years earlier. Um, her ex-husband did have an ex, like an, an active role in their children's lives, which you don't always see, so that was good. That's nice, yeah. She had her two sons, Derek and Devin, and she enjoyed life. Good. She enjoyed gardening, and she loved plants, and she liked to go hunting and camping and all of that outdoorsy stuff. She was game. Oh. Any chance she had to be outside, she took it. Girl after my own heart. For work, she worked as an office manager for a carpentry company, and really everyone that knew her and loved her described her as just a loving person. She was an incredible mom. She loved her kids, mm. and she had a kind heart. She was just very a sweet woman. Her family adored her. She adored them. She loved her family, her nieces, nephews, siblings, kids, husband, all of it. Just one of those gals, you know? Adorable. Now, her husband, Bill, he was a retired Air Force veteran, and he, too, had been married previously, like I said. He had the one son, BJ. He and Sue shared many common interests. He, too, enjoyed hunting and spending time outside, and it was said that the land he lived on was his own personal heaven. Aww. They had a lot of land. They, I mean, it looked like farmland. They had a lot, but he loved that. He would spend his days tending to his property. I love that. He was described as a great dad, a great friend, a loving husband. It was really important to him that he had quality time and he did not give up on his family. So Bill's son, BJ, he had a bit of a rough history. He had struggled significantly with his mental health and he wasn't living in their home at the time of what we're going to talk about today, but he would still visit his dad on some weekends. Okay. He didn't live far from his dad's house and... Actually, the week before this, BJ and his dad had gone away for a few days for like this guy's trip. Oh. And they had come back Saturday the 30th. Okay. So just the day before the day that we're talking about today. Dang. Okay. Derek, he was 23. He took a page out of his mother's book and surprise, surprise, he loved the great outdoors too. He liked to go sailing on Lake Erie. And especially he would go early in the morning when the water was like still and peaceful and there's nobody out and he could just really enjoy it. Yeah. In high school, he had set some track records, and he was actually a black belt in martial arts and had traveled to Italy with the U.S. Taekwondo team. Shit. He had a lot of friends, and he was the kind of guy that you could depend on. He was there to lend an ear or a hand or whatever you might need. Okay. And then there was Devin, 16-year-old. He was a good kid, and he loved his family, was close with them. He was active in his local church, the Lutheran church that his whole family attended in Oak Harbor. Mm-hmm. He was a typical kid. When he had free time, he wanted to sneak away and play video games for as long as his mom would let him get away with. Oh, classic 16. So we'll take the pin out from before. Okay. Again, we've just met the family now. So Devin, the 16-year-old, he had just actually spent the night before at his dad's house. So his biological dad's house, which is why he missed the Halloween party and everything. Oh, okay. But he was going home to mom's. And again, he had stopped by earlier on Sunday around 9.30-ish. Yep. About five minutes total, changed his clothes and left again. And he had to get to church because he had the choir. And he was only home a few minutes, but it was long enough to notice something a little bit strange. Right. So his stepbrother, BJ, was acting kind of odd. Okay. Okay, 24-year-old BJ, Bill's son. Now, BJ was not a social guy, and he hardly ever even looked in Devin's direction, let alone spoke with him. So when he did speak with him, it was a little odd. Okay. Um, But when he ran into him that Sunday morning, BJ was chipper. He was even kind of jovial and in a good mood, which was not common. He asked Devin about his plans for the day, 
where are you heading? How long are you going to be there? When are you coming back? Yeah. And now this might not be odd to any of us, especially if you are in the same family or something like that. It's a safety thing. Hey, right. when should I expect you home so that if, you know, three days pass? I know that I that's noticed on that. purpose or not. Right. I also, you know, I hear that and I, I know what podcast we're on, but um, it is possible that like a trip away with your dad after all of that family dynamics changing might be really nice. Yeah. You know, for four days to just be like, okay, it's just us. Like, yeah, having had a few days away, so you get home right. and you might still be in a good mood. Right. Yeah, hold on to that. I'm I'm going to try. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hold on real tight because I'm going to try to tug it away. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. I was. Okay. I keep going. So, asking lots of questions. And again, Devin's like, um,. Yeah, I have to go to church and then I'll I'll be back. Like he was kind of caught off guard. He wasn't like rude to him or anything, but right. he was just like, "Wow, you never talk to me." Yeah. And why do you look happy? Okay. When you never look happy. Because BJ was described as kind of low energy. He was gloomy, dark, not friendly, not Any inviting. Or- if you talked to him, the conversation moved at a snail's pace and you probably had a weird feeling in your stomach that you couldn't explain. Ah. Uh. And if this were the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, which um, this is your homework. You should be watching that show. But anyway, yes. <laughs> if we were on that show, um, he'd be an energy vampire. Gotcha. Okay? But not the Colin Robinson type. Okay. He'd be kind of like dark and mysterious and not in the sexy way. Okay. Kind of make you not really want to hang out. Dark and mysterious. And I wish I could give him deodorant and like never be in the same room alone with him kind of way. Yeah. Like. Okay. Oh, just loosen up. And again, I promise we'll talk more about how and why he is like this. But all of this to say that the interaction was entirely out of character. And Devin was like, oh, that's odd. But alarm bells weren't ringing. Right. Because someone being in a good mood should not be alarm bell worthy. It's not a red flag. Plus, even in the event that it would have been... I. He's got to get to a performance. Like, he has to be on a stage singing. Yeah, he's like, yep, okay, well, I gotta go. Yep. And so he Mind is not there, right. So he went to church, he sang his songs, and then he got home around lunchtime-ish. Sounds right. And as many 16-year-olds do, he planned on just sort of, like, sneaking as quietly as he could from the front door to his bedroom, closing the door, and just playing video games. Right. As you do when you're 16. And that's what he did. He walked in. He was like oh, okay like nobody's up yet that's kind of odd but whatever if it means i get away with getting to play some video games then i will take it and we're at like noon now correct yep okay around one o'clock he started to think like wow it's really quiet for a sunday yeah sunday is usually time for cleaning and laundry cooking and i mean it's the fall so football and just kind of hanging out maybe having some snacks Right. And his mom hadn't knocked on his door yet and told him to bring his laundry down or give him, you know, chores to do around the house and take the trash out. And why don't you ever bring the bottles out of your room? My God, there's like a thousand water bottles in here. <laughs> None of that. That didn't happen that day. And that was and really there was weird. No chili in the slow cooker, just like smelling exactly. up the house. Gotcha. So he's starting to think that this is odd. The wheels are turning and then he gets a call. Okay. Um, it's his aunt Lori. She was a little concerned because she had tried to reach his mom over the phone and she wasn't answering. And then she tried to reach um, Devin's brother, Derek, over the phone and Derek wasn't answering. And so 
Derek actually worked for Lori and her husband. Oh, And he okay. hadn't showed up at work that day. So yeah, she's concerning. kind of, you know, she's like, this is kind of weird. So like as a last ditch effort, she gives a call to Devin. She's like, hey, kid, do you know where everybody is? I can't reach any of the adults in the house. Right. So Devin left his room and he headed downstairs to where Sue and Bill's bedroom was. And he opened the door and he was kind of surprised to see them still in bed. Okay. They weren't the sleeping in kind of people and definitely not until after 1 p.m. I mean, even I haven't done that in a very long time. Yeah. But weirder still was that their maroon comforter was pulled up and over them. So they weren't really visible. Okay. Just bodies in a bed. Yes. Only Sue's leg was sticking out a little bit. Oh, no. And there was blood pooling on the floor. No. And there were, there was blood spatter up the walls and on the ceiling. And he's like, okay, guys, like, you got me. It's Halloween. No. And you had a Halloween party last night, so you must have just left the decorations up, but you're not pulling that over on me. I'm not falling for your shit, you guys. Wake up. Devin. Come on, get up. Devin. And he just, he was not giving them the satisfaction. He's like, you guys had a Halloween party and I wasn't here for it. I'm not falling for this. You silly gooses. And an awful lot of commitment to stay quiet for so long for me to find this. Bahaha. But joke's over. Oh, Oh, this is so hard. I know. Okay. And so he's kind of like pleading with them a little bit. You know, he like, so he kind of hits her leg because it's sticking out from under the comforter uh. and she's not moving so he's like okay why do you guys have the com- like the comforter over your head so this he's is literally giving me lion king ptsd flash it's the worst no it's awful it's awful because okay. the timing of it could not have been any worse right and you know exactly why he would think that right right so he's pulling the comforter down off of their heads and then he just notices that while the comforter is this maroon color the pillow shouldn't have been fuck and it is just drenched in blood and at this point he's put it together he's realized this was not the joke but the entire time that it was quiet and everything he just thought he was like getting away with playing video games like mom wasn't on to him yet and maybe they didn't feel well because they had people over and maybe they drank or whatever who knows right but they just weren't up yet and he was like i'll take the win right and my heart just goes out to him because he was trying to make sense of what he saw he thought maybe they weren't feeling well decided to go back to sleep again they had the party so like ooh, maybe a little hangover right. maybe anything but you could just like i i imagine the wheels turning of like seeing right. it all and be like okay nice try okay really nice try all right it's not funny any okay this is getting old oh my god are you okay right you know and, and it happened like that yeah Ugh. so now he's realized that they're dead now he was terrified he was shaking uncontrollably he ran out of the house and he called his aunt back it was just the first thing he thought of he called her and he just said there's blood everywhere uh, and he couldn't get words out so she just got right in the car and headed to them and i don't know how far her drive was i don't think it was very very far right because by the time she got there he was shaking like the poor kid he wouldn't go back in the house i mean for all he knows whoever did that could still be in there he has no idea what's going on and it didn't even cross his mind to call the police. He just called his aunt. Just right. scared. Calling back the person who asked where people were. And you're 16. Mm-hmm. 
And so she pulls in and she sees him shaking. And so she calls 911 as she's walking up to him. Right. And she's like, okay, tell me everything. The operator's asking her questions. And so she hasn't gone in the house yet, but she's like just kind of asking him their questions and giving them his answers and everything. Right. And then she heads into the house and then you hear the moment that she sees them. And oh, she God. knows. And she's she's just, oh my God, oh my God, he's got to be dead. I, I, there's blood everywhere. He's got to be dead. Talking about Bill. Oh. So police arrive. Now, they honed their attention on Devitt immediately. Of course. Okay, he was the one who found their bodies. He was the only other person in the home that they knew of. And he'd been home quite a while by this time. It had been over like an hour and a half by now. He got home around lunchtime. And he was not the one that called 911. No. Right. Oh, that poor kid. They asked him where he was the night before. And he answered honestly. He was at his dad's house. And it has been his dad's weekend. So he left in the morning. But he just needed to stop home to get changed. It wasn't like he was there long. Right. And when he got home, he saw his stepbrother, BJ. He was outside loading some stuff into his dad's pickup truck, which was Bill's white pickup truck. Didn't really think anything of it. So Devin wasn't entirely sure what BJ was putting in the car, but he said that it was, you know, the odd chipper, happy tone he had was not how he typically was. And then he said he went inside, thought the home, you know, people were quiet. Everyone was just exhausted after the party and everything was sleeping in and well and that's played video very games logical progression i can see how that would happen hell yeah it's a holiday you know what i mean like any other day of the entire year probably would have set off alarm bells but not um, halloween yeah it's like halloween and january 2nd like <laughs> yeah or when, first or whatever you know yeah. yeah oh and the day after saint patrick's day okay i'm back <laughs> <laughs> but you know He's like, I, yeah, I was here, but he tells them he saw the blood in the room and he's like, okay, well then that, that's, I mean, it was a Halloween party the night before. Of course, it's supposed to be kind of scary and gory and creepy. Right. That makes perfect sense. And it was only after he moved things around that he noticed that he figured out what happened. So they also spoke with Lori, his aunt, Lori Morse. And she said that she had tried calling the house at around 7 a.m. And this was after... Derek was expected, I don't know if it was at their house or at their business or something, but expected at work, he didn't show. So she gave a call at seven, no answer. Right. Gave a call at nine, again, no one answered. And she was kind of eager to talk to somebody, again, because it wasn't like Derek to miss work. Right. And especially not to let them know. It's also your nephew. So like, I don't know if it's me. I think, oh my gosh, he's super sick. Like, he didn't call in. That's not like him. He's not here. That's not like him. Maybe I should drop something by on the way home or something. You know what I mean? Like, More invested than like your, I'd hope your boss would be. Like, I don't think I, I'd be kind of like, oh, like I'm not feeling well. You called 10 times, you know, but yeah, but when it's unexpected like that, it's not something you usually do. It's family. Right. And now she's like, OK, well, not only can I not reach him, but I can't reach anybody. Right. So. They asked her if there was anything else going on, anything else she might have noticed what was missing is there anything missing is there anything going on she said well first off bill's f-150 isn't here that white pickup truck okay that bj was loading something into and so she's like i'd start there because that's that should be here and it's not because everyone right bill's here and that's bill's truck so where is it 
They also asked her if there was anyone that had any issues with the Liskey family. Yeah. Any work associates with a grudge, maybe unsavory activity going on that put them on someone's radar. Did they owe money? Did they have a lot of debt? Did they have enemies or ex-friends or just anything? Anything she could offer. And the first and only person Lori pointed them to was BJ. Whoa. So I'll take a pause here. If you're Lori. Yes. Your youngest nephew has called you in hysterics because his family was attacked. Yes. You arrive, you see the scene, and it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. These are your loved ones. And you've yeah. seen their brutalized bodies, essentially. And you're trying to comfort your nephew over the death of his mom and his stepdad, but you are battling the same shock and confusion, grief, anger, pain, all of it, that he is. And I empathize with her. And then imagine that the investigators ask you who could possibly have done this, and you have to say your other nephew. Yeah. Your 24-year-old nephew, the other person who's a child in your eyes. Right. That's that's what you're forced to say. Because that's awful. Because of some history, and we'll talk about that. Okay. So not only have loved ones been killed, but you believe in your heart that one of their children, another family member of yours, is responsible. So I can't imagine what she must have felt in that mo- in those moments. Right. It wasn't like, oh, this neighbor who, you know, hated them or this, that. It's like you're pointing the finger to another family member. Yeah, that sucks. So Lori tells them not only does she think it's BJ, but she says that over the years, there were continued issues with him. Oh. That BJ and Sue had argued regularly and in front of people because Sue was his stepmom. Ugh. And he was not a fan. You don't, you're, t- you're an adult. You don't have to be. What the hell? Well, growing up throughout all, when he was still a kid, he hated her. I mean, <sighs> from day one. And he also had a criminal record with some of those charges for crimes committed against Sue. Oh, my God. And so then they looked into all of this further. And it turned out that BJ, he'd even had threatened Sue. And for some reason, he'd hated her the whole time. There was never really a good time. He had gotten arrested for throwing a coffee mug at her head. Oh, my God. And stole her car keys in her car. When he was arrested for that, they charged him with assault and robbery. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity, which is rarely, rarely ever an accepted plea. But it didn't matter because they ended up dropping those charges. The family or the state? The state. Okay. He had even gotten physical with his dad. He'd punched his dad in the face before, just a year before this incident. So BJ is very much looking like someone they want to talk to. Yeah, that's all escalated as well. Like, it's not just like, "Mm, I stole her car key to go out to the bar tonight and I'm doing it again. Like, it's no, but he assaulted her to do that. A car and then a mug and then a punch like that. There's a progression there, you know? Well, then let's get into the scene. Okay. Because obviously there are investigators who are outside talking with Devin and Lori, right? Yes. So those are the co- they're asking them all the questions we just talked about. But you true crime people, I know you've seen this in a TV show or two. So let's just, if we imagine it, they're off to the side, they're chatting. Right. But now you've got cruisers parked at an angle in front of the house. Yeah. Okay. You've got the blue lights reflecting off the windows of the home and you've got clusters of people and Then you'd have others kind of walking the perimeter of the home, checking on everything, making sure maybe some walking around the land. Taping, evidence, yeah. And they're saying like gibberish into their radios. You can never tell what they're saying or what they mean. But Mm -hmm. 
they figure out, okay, there's there's no sign of forced entry. Yeah. There's no kicked in doors. All the windows are intact. Nothing that makes them think on the outside of the home that something was wrong. Okay. So no, yeah. But in the home, it was a horror movie scene. Okay. In the bedroom specifically, there was just blood pooling and blood spatter all over. Mm. In the bedroom, tucked into bed, were the lifeless bodies of Sue and Bill Liskey. What investigators noticed next was that there was a door to a bedroom that was locked from the inside. Okay. And they found out that that was the bedroom of Derek Griffin. So Sue's other son, her 23-year-old, her oldest son. Okay. They were finally able to get that door open. I mean, they literally had to kick it in because they knocked and tried to ask whoever was inside to open it and there's no answer. Okay. Once they got the door open, that's when they found their third victim. Oh, God. Okay. Derek had been murdered in his bedroom, also in his bed. At first, Lori and Devin didn't know anything happened to Derek. They didn't know where he was, but the only bodies they saw were Bill's and Sue's. Right. Maybe they thought he was away. Maybe they thought he was hiding. Maybe they thought he ran away. They didn't know. Right. But they didn't know he was dead. So then that's just another... Add gut punch to what was already a gut punch of just shock, grief, anger, frustration, sadness. You name it, they felt it. Ugh. And it's just being added to. So the medical examiner comes by and at first glance said that all victims had blunt force trauma to their heads. Okay. And we know with head wounds, especially, lots of blood. Yeah. There weren't any signs of a struggle, really. And it looked like they'd been killed while they were sleeping. That's so much better and also so much worse, you know? Well, it's going to get worse. Oh, shit. Because what we found out later was that Bill had been shot five times in the face and head from close range. I mean, one to two feet away. That's a lot. Overkill for sure and personal right to the face, just a step away from where the man slept. But with Sue, it was different. Okay. Because she didn't look as if she had been sleeping when she was killed. Because oh. Bill didn't wake up. He was asleep and he was killed in his sleep oh. while he slept. So he was in what would have been a very comfortable sleeping position. Okay. But Sue wasn't. She was kind of sprawled out in an awkward, uncomfortable position that nobody would have slept, slept like. Yeah. And what likely happened was that she was awoken from the sound of her husband being murdered. I'm sure five gunshots in your bedroom will certainly range. wake you up. Yeah. And... The last moments of her life were terrifying. It was like scenes out of a horror movie that you'd probably turn off because they took it too far. Yeah. But she had to live through all of this. But she had to live through this. This woman who loved her family, who loved her sons, who was a friend to everybody, who just wanted to be in nature and tending to her garden and her land, who loved life. And she had to endure all of this. So then we also learn about the 23-year-old's murder, Derek's murder. He was still in bed. And like we said before, um, what's of note here is that his back was to the door. So he was sleeping kind of facing the wall, which meant that whoever it was just came up behind him. That's convenient for them. I hope he didn't wake up to any of the other noises. Well, actually, we find out that his murder was different from the others because he wasn't shot. 
Oh. He'd been bludgeoned in the head with both sides of a claw hammer. What? And he had died within minutes of the first strike. So it wasn't a slip and fall. This wasn't self-inflicted. And what I mean by that is that this wasn't a murder-suicide, like killing his mom and stepdad and then himself. He was a victim of this too. Okay. And in all likelihood, he was the first one killed because it would make sense that he'd need to be killed in the most silent way. Yeah. So he's killed with a, a hammer so that those sleeping wouldn't hear that because gunshots will wake you up, but that won't, or it might not. Yeah. You sneak up on a somebody who's sleeping. Well, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Back's turned to you. They can't even like kind of open entirely, their eyes and see something. Entirely defenseless. Ugh. So we find out other things. Great. I love finding things out in this. Once once the autopsies were completed, we found out that... So Bill had been shot five times. Okay. Derek had been bludgeoned with a hammer. Sue had been raped. Oh. And shot three times. Oh, Sue. The claw hammer was found in a closet, and that was bagged and sent away for forensic testing. Good. But we're at our main suspect, and instead of just giving it away to you later, the killer. Okay. BJ Liskey, Bill's son. Oh, BJ. So they had determined him to be, like, the person they needed to talk to, and they needed to talk to him, like, yesterday. Yeah. Um... He was found later that same day, so just later on Halloween, um, at a family member's cabin 170 miles away. And I don't know if it was his parents' cabin or a different relative or something, but right. it was property in the family that it was kind of a good guess that he'd go to. Right. Also could have been, though I couldn't find it confirmed several places, could have been the place that him and his dad had just spent the week at. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So where sense. they had their time away. It might have just been where he went back to. Okay. He had driven his dad's white pickup truck there and it had been spotted out front because there was a bolo out for the vehicle because it was missing from a triple murder scene. Yeah, that'll do it. And when they found him, he had blood on his shoes, blood on his clothes. He had his dad's wallet on him. BJ. When the officer arrived, he had kind of gone out on the front porch of the cabin and smoked a cigarette and just kind of leaned against one of the pillars like just just waited for his fate he had a sandwich from subway in the cabin that he just not had the chance to eat yet it wasn't opened which is probably the most human thing i've heard of him yet because i don't know that i'd be able to eat after murdering my family um same i'm not even sure i could walk into a subway after that so covered in blood too i don't know i don't know I just don't know. Ugh. But we're going to talk more about his history. Okay. Like I said, Sue and Bill married in 2001. All three boys were brought up in the same home. Mm -hmm. And Sue and Bill were setting the tone for the home. The kids were expected to obey both adults. And while I think it's normal for all families to have problems, I suspect that blended families have different issues and i'd say that's probably more likely for there to be like rough ruffled feathers because 
there's a lot more room for you're not my dad and my mom doesn't like you and I wish she didn't marry you and right and well at this one's house I can do this why can't I do that you know different rules different places it can be confusing and it depends if all the adults aren't on the same page that can be really hard that can be really difficult the issue was is that all the adults were on the same page they all tried they all cared okay but BJ just refused now do you know how old BJ was when Sue came into the picture? He was probably 13 or 14 because they got married in 2001. And I assume there was some kind of like dating and courting in there beforehand. <laughs> so 2001 is when they started living together. Okay. And yeah, that's unfortunately some decent amount of time, but also about the right time if you're going to be a teenage boy who's angsty to really start unleashing that. Well, and the thing is, right, at first... He's a teenage boy, puberty, what have you, all that shit, hormones, all of it. Right. Him rebelling a little bit, pushing back on the boundaries and not necessarily obeying this new parental figure. Right. Is kind of typical. Yeah. Or at least to be expected. You know, it doesn't it kind of sound like at first glance, like he's an average kid. He just needs some reassurance that he's loved and all of that. But like the right. tone needs to be set and they need to be firm, but also caring. And yeah, like maybe they could have a heart to heart and it would change the dynamic or something. You know, it just seems like he needed to grow out of it and just grow up. Yeah. He's a 13 year old going through a big change with a new authority figure. And That's new siblings, be a lot. new, you know, brothers. Yeah. A house full of boys. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> BJ Liskey was known to police. Okay. Remember, he had a criminal history. Right. He hadn't lived anywhere else in his 24 years. So all of that criminal history took place right there. And they became quite familiar with him. Now, I don't think Lori, Aunt Lori, when she was talking to police, knew all of the details of everything. So all of this, okay. a lot of this was put together a little bit later. Yeah. Or she did, maybe she didn't say it. She did say, look at him because they've had issues with him. But this is when law enforcement actually like dives in finds everything a lot of them know him but a lot of them are new to the case right so it matters right so his family had actually had to call the police on him on several occasions due to his behavior more than what we talked about for his arrests yes okay and remember it's mostly farmland he doesn't really have friends so he's not scrapping with people in crowded places or anything like that. All the incidents have to do with his family members. So he's getting aggressive with his family. He's doing all of these. He's committing crimes against the people in his home, not random people, not people he doesn't know. So it was literally all coming from inside the house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. At 16, eight years prior to the murders, he was on house arrest. Okay. Um, For some previous crime and... Law enforcement arrived after they were called to the home because of his erratic behavior, and he actually attacked the officers when they got there. So oh, the you're family not making it better for yourself. The family BJ. had to call police for help because he was getting violent with them. Yeah, and he was already on house arrest, so he couldn't go anywhere. So they had to call people to bring him to to come into the home. Right, and then he they couldn't them, take him out. And then he was charged as the juvenile for assault against officers because he threw hands with them, and he was kind of a big 16 year old scrappy little guy holy hell and then two years after that he struck sue in the chest okay he, like punched her right in the chest hard that same year uh. the situation we talked a little bit about where he threw the coffee mug at her and took her keys yeah that happened 
Um, and then again, those charges were ultimately dropped because he wasn't found competent. So they were able to figure out why. Okay. But instead of getting him connected with a ton of stuff, they just did nothing. So then also the same year, Sue was taking a shower and BJ attacked her. Oh, my God. Now, I don't know many details. There are very few details available about this. Nothing says that it's sexual in nature. Maybe because she'd be caught off guard. Maybe because she'd be vulnerable because you're in the shower, you're right. naked, you're like not, you're probably singing to a shampoo bottle. Like, who knows? Right. But you're definitely not anticipating somebody you didn't invite entering the shower. And certainly not someone from your family doing so in a violent way. And definitely not your stepson. Yeah. It's a lot of weird dynamics happening in one sentence. And so while I don't, how do I say? While I don't see any sources saying that this was a sexual component other than just the fact that she was in the shower, I think is sexual enough. But right. when you consider the fact that on the day that Sue was murdered, she was raped by her stepson, yes. tells me that there was a sexual component of this one too. It, it escalated from something to this. Well, and we know in criminal justice that rape is you know, never about the sex. It's, it's never not power. that it's the power. And there is an element of that with the, the shower thing, right? Because mm-hmm. you're coming in, you're clothed, you're deciding what's happening. Well, and everything, about even if this, you never, you know, did anything icky that way. Every crime that he's committed has been about power, putting the adults in his life in their place in his mind. Yeah. And with her, it is especially her knowing her spot. Yes. Which for him is like below the floor. Right. Now, this behavior is escalating. I'd say. (laughs) Neighbors go to Bill. Okay. Because they have some concerns over BJ because pets were going missing. No. And. Oh, fuck that. If any of them got away, some of them were coming home injured. No. If they made it away at all. Some were just never seen from again. And it was always kind of when BJ was around. Mm. So imagine being his neighbor, being Mm -hmm. like, hey, Bill, buddy, I know we're friends and I care a lot about you, but I think your son's killing dogs. Do we want to chat about Mm -mm. that or like, but those are the serious, huge waving red flags. Also, you know, just a, a little round of applause for that neighbor. I don't think I could have that conversation with a neighbor. Well, this same neighbor had actually been called by Bill on several occasions because BJ was getting violent. And when he was younger, he was just a little kid. You could probably flick his nose and he'd go away. But when he's 16, 17 years old, he's got muscle. He's big, like hormones pumping through. Yeah. Yeah, He's like a little kid, but in like a big body. He can actually do damage now. And while BJ's getting older and getting bigger, Bill's getting older. And he's like, geez, I can't scrap with my kid. Yeah. So he had to like literally call in reinforcements for his own son. Shit. So all of this to say it's really bad. And truthfully, I feel for Bill. Yeah. You can Monday morning quarterback all you want over parenting. And there are a lot of opinions on this case. And I go back and forth. But the man was in pain. BJ was his son, his only child. And he loved him. Yeah. He loved his wife. He loved his stepkids. Yeah. 
and the fact that all of them couldn't all be safe in one home was devastating for him. Of course it is. He saw that his son was violent and that he seemed to single Sue out and let his anger toward her fester and then it would erupt into something physical and Sue would get hurt and scared. Oh, And no one should be hurt and scared in their own home. No. So then he had to worry about the others in the home. Their safety was a priority and really how safe was anyone with BJ's behavior? And Devin was still a child. Again, he's 16 at this point. Years before that, growing up, I mean, there was no way he could take his big stepbrother. You know what I mean? Yeah, they moved in when Devin was like, what, five? He was young. Yeah. Bill didn't want to give up, though. He fought for his son. He really tried. And despite hearing from all of those around him that BJ was going to escalate, he just wouldn't listen. He He wouldn't hear it. He wanted to believe. Bill said BJ wouldn't do that. Right. And when Sue was telling him what's going on and his stepkids are afraid of him and the neighbors are voicing their opinions and other family is like, what the hell is going on here? Bill was like, but no one knows my kid like I do. Oh. And I can help him. And he Die. tried to correct his behavior. He tried to parent him, discipline, reason with him. He got him connected with local resources, which was okay. really important. He did. Got him connected with treatment tried to get him to take his medication that he so desperately needed, but ultimately he just wasn't able to reach him. That's such a tough spot to be in and then to have to reap the consequences of his son's issues while being literally the only person like unequivocally in his corner is so heartbreaking. In 2006, Bill filed for guardianship. Okay. Which was just another way of being in his corner. Right. Because he he just knew. He knew that he wasn't well and that he wasn't able to make sound decisions. And it didn't need to be a permanent thing, but it definitely needed to be for now. Yeah. BJ was 20 at the time. And he'd actually, in 2007, the following year, been hospitalized. Yeah. He had made threats to others, threats of harming himself. And at this point, I think this is when he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Ooh, okay. He was moved to a facility, like a group home, for individuals with severe mental illness. And while he was there, he even had several violent incidents under their care. That doesn't surprise me. So a little bit about schizoaffective disorder. Yay! Psych corner. I know, I'm taking a little page out of Abby's book here. My favorite. Um, I have gathered this information from my handy dandy DSM-5. Hell yeah. Um, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition. Numero cinco. So I have a DSM-5. If you don't, I'm sure there's a lot available online. But Oh, um, yeah. You can get them on Amazon. You can, <laughs> you can definitely like kill a few hours just reading through all of it if you're a weird dork like us. But I get it. If you're not, you can just hear about it. It's low key like my favorite book. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but the DSM-5 is literally every kind of mental health condition that exists is in there. And there's all of this information on diagnostic criteria, differential diagnoses, like the age of onset, how it impacts different people, what this might look like in males and females. Like it goes everywhere. Their general guesstimate of how many people have it. Yes. Um. It's great. And also, of course, all of the symptoms that come along with it. It is also 
not something that you should be using to diagnose anybody unless you are properly licensed and credentialed to do so. So this is like a very good tool to use to look through. It's interesting. It could give you more information, but it's not something that you should read and be like, oh, yes, I have diagnosed myself with this. I now have this thing because I read this and this resonates with me. You might be right. But this isn't your tool. It's kind of like a forklift. You know, it's a very helpful tool. It's one that a lot of people use. It's one that I would venture to say everyone can use. But there is training and certification involved. And there are nuances that you should know before you take it at face value, which you should take a lot of it at face value. But in every single diagnosis you will see at the end, it says that this is only applicable if it's not better fit by another condition or a symptom of a different condition. And that one specific sentence is that vast gray area where all of that expertise and training is necessary to actually say this is it. So have fun, read it, watch celebrity, you know, TV and say, "Ooh, um, I think this one's a little narcissistic, but don't say they have NPD. You don't know that. Correct. I think it's good to read and learn about, not something you should use to be like, I'm going to armchair psychology this. Absolutely. But okay, tell me about schizoaffective, right? Not schizophrenia. Yes, schizoaffective disorder. Now, I did not type up the whole chapter here. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be honest, but I did just include what I think is helpful in identifying what was going on with BJ at the time. Sure. Onset is most commonly in late adolescence and early adulthood, but like with all things, there's always like a blanket statement of like, it could also be later in life. It could really be any time. It's just right. most common, right? But they're not going to say it'll only ever happen at this point, this time, unless it's something specifically like... On May 11th of your 16th year. Uh, yeah, unless it's something <laughs> yeah. specific to your age, like it can only happen in this developmental or it's going to be called something else later or something right. like that. So all of that to say, he's in the age range. Schizoaffective disorder is different from schizophrenia because there's an added component of mood issues, so either depressive or manic. And specifically with him, he had bipolar type, so he did have these bouts of depressive, um, very long depressive episodes. He would go catatonic at times. Yeah. Was this the proper diagnosis for him? I mean, I think they probably had a lot of testing that they did with him, but these are so hard to specify because they overlap so much with like one tiny little bit of criteria different from this one to this one to this one. Well, and you think of trauma and the niche impacts of trauma and that makes it that much harder, right? Is the mood disorder because you're, you have like bipolar and the part that's making you think it's schizoaffective is this one individual trauma that's coming up and presenting this way or is it that disorder? Right. And then there's having bipolar disorder, but is it bipolar disorder with um, a psychosis component, which is different than schizoaffective disorder, even right. though psychosis and schizoaffective disorder will have similar criteria. So it's just like all of these different <laughs> things, right? Like there's delusions great figure out which one it is there's delusions there's hallucinations there's bouts of you know episodes that can be two weeks to two years like what however long that they're going to say that it is all of this to say it says a lot and it says nothing at the same time because you really have to know what it is that you're looking at and i'm not going to go on about this it's tempting but i won't so just for a quick recap schizoaffective is like schizophrenia so there's those delusions paranoias but also with a mood disorder like depression, anxiety, bipolar, but he had bipolar type. 
he had bipolar type so cool. bouts of depressive and i couldn't quite find a point where it was like he experienced depressive and manic episodes or if okay. it was one or the other yeah it looked like depressive but i can't say like it was only depressive all right does that make sense yeah absolutely. so not a whole lot there but but that's a difficult diagnosis he was experiencing hallucinations he believed that um satan was talking to him and the delusion was that he was believing satan and that he had to do these things oh dude okay but this depressiveness this inability to socialize this gloomy dark not and again not in the sexy mysterious way he's he's very ill and it was very difficult for people around him to communicate with him he would be completely distant if interacting with you at all and then fits of rage yeah just intermittent fits of rage aimed at pretty much everybody around him now also important to note that like you kind of touched on earlier that these criteria that people meet need to be present without the involvement of like substance use or anything like that any other things that you're putting into your body or any other medical conditions or ongoing things that can cause similar things or affect this in a different way which is really difficult to do because a lot of times all of these things are intertwined and it's really hard to say oh well if we took this part out of it what would this be because you don't know because they haven't done that and it's a whole it's a mess yeah have i mentioned it's confusing When BJ was appropriately medicated, he was great. He was functional. He was appropriate. He didn't burst in explosive, violent episodes. If I can, the fact that his medicine seemed to be working is a point in favor of the diagnostic being correct. Well, here's the thing, though. Okay. And this isn't unique to BJ at all. This is actually really common. You know this. And I'm. And if you listeners didn't know, you're going to, is that when people are given medication to aid in some kind of treatment for severe mental illnesses or any mental illnesses, if the medication works, it's great. But then the person might say, I feel good. So I don't need the medication anymore because look how great I'm doing. Uh, I don't need to take medicine. I'm not sick and there's nothing wrong with me. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you, but it might mean that you are benefiting greatly from this medication yeah and so if i'm giving given medication for high blood pressure yeah right so i have something that's gonna lower my blood pressure yep and i'm testing my blood pressure every day yeah and at first it's like really high and then i got on this medication and i'm sitting pretty at like exactly where it should be what like a 120 over 60 something like that something like that all right so if i'm on if i'm sitting there right and i've got like three months of like really good blood pressure and i go you know what i don't need this medication anymore look my i don't need treatment for my blood pressure because it's fine you see how it's fine yeah so i just stopped taking it is your i'm sorry is that your blood pressure spiking as we speak correct yes so Mm -hmm. it is human nature for us to to believe that and then to want to make that change but you have to be well enough to know that that's not going to help you right and i think that for a lot of people there's a learning curve right you're like oh i I don't think that means that I'm entirely better, but I'm doing well. So maybe I forget about it or I don't prioritize it. And it's the same trap. You're just like, oh, well, now I feel like shit and I wonder why. And it's like, well, you haven't taken your meds in three days. So let's keep that a priority because it keeps you feeling good. It keeps you doing well. And typically when we see this, and I don't really know why, but it's usually a cold turkey kind of thing. We don't yep. just go, oh, I'll, 
I'll take it four days this week and then two next week and then you know try to like wean off of it yeah. not that that's no an appropriate way to wean <laughs> and you shouldn't try to taper yourself off of any medication but a lot of times they'll say well I'm doing well so I'm gonna stop and they immediately seize all medication often without letting anybody know yeah and so all the symptoms that they had been treated for are back in full force and when they're back in full force you're not in your right frame of mind to then re-engage in those same treat treatment steps that you had been in before right or even to appropriately communicate what's going on with your provider and when bj felt good he felt great and he felt that he was cured good so he figured there's not anything any reason there's no reason to take the medication anymore so i'm not going to so i'm going to stop taking it and then of course the symptoms would be back and they came back with a vengeance less good (laughs) and at that point he turned to like smoking weed and drinking a lot to self-medicate and especially (sighs) alcohol tends to just exacerbate mental health Mm -hmm. conditions so then of course it just he went steeper down yeah right so then we'll go back to the investigation. They are piecing together from family and friends what happened Saturday, October 30th. Okay. The day before. Yeah. Bill and BJ had gotten home from that guy's vacation. Mm-hmm. Neighbors had come over for like this Halloween party, like I said. Oh, yeah. They talked to the neighbors. It was like neighbors, friends, all of that. Everyone said it was a good time. No one argued or fought. There was nothing out of the ordinary going on. Devin, the 16-year-old, wasn't there. They all noted that he was away. Yep. And Derek was probably home, but he didn't partake. And the reason for that is because he and BJ did not get along. Okay. And BJ didn't live there at the time because he was still in that facility. Got but he it. would be oh, able to leave. Oh, he was still in that group home. Yes. Okay. So he would get, like, absences approved and yeah. things like that and could do all that. So he'd come over to visit, but he wasn't to spend the night. That was like a rule in the home. They weren't to do that. So Derek likely stayed away because BJ was home. Okay. Or in their home and And just didn't participate in this party. Both Devin and Derek, understandably, didn't feel comfortable around BJ. Because, I mean, they literally have seen the guy physically attack their mom, punch her, sneak up on her in the shower, throw something at her head, steal her keys, punch their stepdad. So they weren't exactly thrilled to be in his company. Okay. So if they knew he was going to be around, they steered clear. So the party ended around midnight. And on a typical day, if BJ were visiting on a weekend, Bill would drive him back to the group home that he lived in. Bill and Sue had both consumed alcohol that night and made the responsible decision not to drive. Ayo, that's a good move. So instead of finding an alternative to getting BJ back to the group home, they agreed that just for the night, they'd allow him to sleep on the couch and they'd bring him back the next day. Okay. I'm glad. And the group home was okay with that. Yes. Okay. So that's good. So this was an exception to the rule, not the rule right of course they said oh we'd prefer you be safe not great let's do this every week right yeah but had they not had him sleep over yeah yeah oh i'm certain and i you know i feel for the people that approved it i'm sure that's really hard to process and conceptualize you know well right and it's got to be tough if you're the group home i mean like if they thought he was doing well 
and he had just spent a week away with his dad anyway what's another night right you know i who knows and they were like all right he had a good week he was fine he was appropriate with the neighbor you know he wasn't rude to anybody that night he wasn't odd i mean he definitely wasn't like the social butterfly but he kept to himself and he didn't threaten anybody so that was a good time it's a win and so they're like well we drank and rather than ask somebody else to drive him home we'll just let him stay the night and so they had like a sleep sofa in the living room and they said yeah you can sleep there tonight set on up so 6 30 halloween morning sunday morning just i mean mere hours after the party ended because the party ended around midnight yeah a neighbor heard loud bangs that sounded like gunshots now if this is when the murders took place devin got changed for church and left after his family had already been killed so when he went in the house the first time they were already dead that was what i was thinking originally but that sucks but that early they could have still been sleeping you know yeah but then you think okay when Devin ran inside to get changed, he ran into BJ. Right. So why didn't BJ just kill Devin? He had just killed the three others in the home. Why did you let him leave? Yeah. We don't know. We don't no. know why he was allowed to live and the others weren't. I'm curious because... Okay. I'm curious. I have a theory, but I want to see what happens and i'll share what i'm thinking okay okay well ultimately with bj in custody they charged him with all three murders okay that's probably good he pled not guilty and after (sighs) two competency evaluations he was deemed competent for trial and this is not saying that he's at peak mental health or that he is not battling a mental illness but it is saying that he wasn't ill enough to the point that he can't aid in his own defense and that he doesn't understand that his actions have consequences and that he doesn't understand the charges against him yes so he is aware of all of those things there is a brief like a a minor difference between like the defense not guilty by reason of insanity and competency and competency has more to do with where you're at at the time of the trial and not where you're at at the time of the offense correct yeah and so just to quote the justice.gov okay okay (laughs) um they just they have something on this and i just wanted to include it here so it says the court must order a competency hearing if there is a reasonable cause to believe that the defendant may presently including means presently right now at the time of the trial be suffering be suffering from a mental disease or defect rendering him mentally incompetent to the extent that he is unable to understand the nature and consequences of the proceedings against him or to assist properly in his defense okay So they cleared him for that. While he was awaiting trial, he spoke with his mother over the phone while he was at the jail. Again, his dad, he killed his bio dad. His biological mom is alive and well. Okay. And she said, how could you? And he said that he wasn't in his right mind. And then he said, mom, I can't talk about this anymore. Because it was like he realized or remembered that it's recorded. Yeah. While incarcerated, he wrote a letter to a cousin in which he said, I wish this terrible thing would have never happened. I hope you and everyone will eventually find peace and happiness through God's grace and try to forgive me. 
tell everyone I said hi and that I love them and I'm very sorry. Okay. He ended up changing his plea to guilty. That's respectful, um, at least. They dropped the other charges against him and just kept the aggravated murder charges in exchange um, for keeping the death penalty off the table. Okay. He apologized for his actions in court, and he said that Satan and his mental illness made him do it. Okay. But other than that, he didn't have any deeper in explanation for why he did this. We don't know the thoughts that were going through his mind other than he saying he was told to do so. Okay. We don't know why he let Devin live and why he killed the rest. We don't know why he sexually assaulted Sue. I mean, obviously, we can assume different reasons. We can assume all right. of the power things and what you'd expect in most, but it is but it is odd given that it was a parental figure. Right. You don't see that every day. Nope. The previous night was a good one. You know, Saturday the 30th. He, they had friends over. He had a good time. By the next morning, he'd killed everyone in the house. Yeah. Just hours later. And ultimately, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But in 2015, BJ made the news again. Five years after the murders, he was found dead in his cell from an apparent self-inflicted wound. Oh. And he had killed himself. BJ. He was 29 years old. That's so young. This means that of all the immediate family members we've talked about today, only Devin Griffin is still alive. Devin needs a hug. If you know Devin, give him a hug. Devin today in 2023 is 29 years old, which is the age that BJ was when he killed himself, which means he is now older than all of his siblings. Wow. That's awful. And he was the baby. So that's awful. My theory on it was that when people who have mental health take meds and mix those meds with alcohol, that is usually not a good mix. But also, if they're not on meds and drinking alcohol, that is also not usually a good mix if they're meant to be on meds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, But if he is having these paranoid or schizophrenic sort of delusions, right, where he is seeing or hearing things or believing things, it could have been, frankly, just enough to wake up in a place that wasn't where he thought he'd be, to have something in his brain trigger, we're in danger, and then, I don't know, suddenly he has to kill everyone in the house. And that's not to say that he is not responsible for killing every person in that house, but... That's sort of my take on it. And then by the time that Devin gets there, he's awake and back to it and normal. And, oh, how long are you going to be gone? Okay, that's how long I have to clean up. You think so? That's what I was thinking. Cause I when think he, said, he felt, thr- I mean, he was happier than he'd been. I think he felt accomplished. I think he, I oh. think he was still in the bouts of it. And I think maybe he, maybe he considered waiting till Devin got home to kill him too. And maybe he was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to get going. Well, when I think of 630, that's where I think like if it's me and it's 630 a.m. and I'm on a pullout couch, it's because I'm cold or I have to pee. Mm-hmm. And neither of those are fun ways to wake up. Um, they're a lot nicer than any of the things he did to any of his family. But, Correct. you know, it's not a fun feeling even when you are feeling comfortable and safe. Yes. Um, 
And so the reason I thought was partially accomplished, like, yay, finally, this thing is off my chest. I did the thing. I did it. Mm -hmm. But also like, don't get on me about being too weird right now. Have a great day. And like, of course, you're going to seem weirder when you do that. But like, keep your eye off me. Get out of here. When are you going to be back? That's how long I got. Go. Right. And so I think it's interesting. I'm very curious. I hope that they're really... I don't know what I hope. Part of me hopes that there was a reason so I can say, aha, that was it. That's the thing that did it. Oh, well. And part of me hopes that there wasn't because there's a lot of implications either way. And I don't know which one's better. Like, None of them. Secret option C, which is it, if, don't it murder people? if it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of things. Okay. Give me your things. I want to conclude on a couple points. Yes. First listeners please make no mistake i am not saying that all people with mental illnesses are evil inherently dangerous or bad never i hope that's not at all what you heard but in case it was there's my little no (laughs) poking at you um we can't always help the cards we're dealt in life right but we can choose how we play them bj did not choose to have mental illness and in a perfect world none of us would have and if i had that magic wand <laughs> that would cure us all from it i would be um quite rich and the world would be a better place but unfortunately i do not have that and neither did he and those were the cards that he was dealt wouldn't it be cool if we had a unicorn shitting rainbows world i love unicorn shitting rainbows <laughs> so much it is though our responsibility no matter what we are battling to take care of ourselves and yep. that's the cold, harsh truth, whether you want to hear it or not. If I have di- diabetes and I need medication to help me through the day so that I can live a happy, typical life, then it's on me to take my medication. Yeah. If I broke my leg then I and I need to utilize crutches or other mobility tools, then I need to use those to have the kind of typical life that I'm trying to go. It doesn't mean that's going to look the same for everybody. It's not to say that accessibility isn't an issue and I'm not... I'm not just like glancing over that, but by and large, yeah, there are things you can do and it is on you to do them. For BJ and others in his similar situation, they would likely need some kind of ongoing treatment. Everyone's different. No two cases are the same, but it is important to work with your treatment team and listen to them. And that includes meaningfully participating, not just going through the motions, actually going to your appointments, taking your medications at prescribed. Don't take too many of them. Don't take too little. Don't just pick and choose the days you're going to take them. Actually follow what it says on the bottle. Yes. If there's a note not to consume alcohol while you're taking it, then it's your responsibility to follow that. I'm sorry if you want to go out with your friends. Go out with your friends and have an NA beer or a cranberry seltzer. But nobody is going to do it for you. And as awful as it feels, and it would be really nice for us to have someone hold our hand. And I hope that you've got friends and support that will guide you along but it is you and only you that's going to do that for yourself yep second bj is not to blame for this because of his mental illness he is to blame and he is responsible for this because of his actions leading up to and including the murders yeah if you need help with mental health treatment you need to do that for you no one can or will do it for you but that doesn't mean that you can't or don't have people that love you that care about you that support you Use those supports. Advocate for yourself. Do your research and work with your treatment team, not against them. No. And frankly, it's one of those cases where 
you know, the mental health was there, and I'm sure it did play a large role in it. It is his responsibility to take care of himself, but also it's all his accountability. Whether or not it was a delusion of Satan telling you to do something, you're still the one that did it. And not like your hands, your hands did it. Your hands pay the price. And as someone who was connected with the treatment team, who had supports and help and a dad through thick or thin, who probably should not have been there as much as he was, was there for him as much as he was. Right. And so all of this to say that I'm not saying that this was, you know, a super cut and dry thing and, oh, this is super easy, but there are certain steps you have to take and some of us have to take more. That's okay. Yep. It's not fair, but it is But it's life. It's life. Yeah. So to conclude, I have included some mental health resources in the description below. Yeah, that's a good move, baby. (laughs) Um, As always, though, I'd say you'll have the best with, well, really doing your own research. But I will say that we have worked very hard to have a pretty good, if I may say so myself, um, highlight reel on our Instagram where we have resources. They are there available for you to screenshot. They are direct links, so you can just click them and get to them. No, we don't get notified if you do so. So please do what you want. Don't think that anybody like knows about it. Nope, all but you. Even if it's not for you, save them for a friend. Yeah, that's totally fine. Doesn't need to be for you, but if you've got something, oh, I think my friend could benefit from it. Screenshot it and send them. Okay, help yourselves, help your loved ones, because the ATFTC family wouldn't be the same without you. No, we love you here, and so you can just look below in the cute little description box for all kinds of yeah. mental health stuff. And I love you guys. That's so good. And that was the Halloween Day Lisky Griffin family murders. That is devastating. I did almost cry, but only once. So that was good of me. Yes. Well, uh, the bright side is Devin is alive and well. Yes. And I'm very happy to hear that. Um, I'm very sad to hear the rest of it. All of it. Um, I hope that Devin and his family are doing well, that he is still surrounded by that little, you know, Ohio Midwest love. Yeah. Specific brand. And it's very good. And his his bio dad was not included in any of this. I mean, luckily, that's probably what saved his life is that he was there that Saturday night anyway, because. Yeah. In the in the throes of everything, I don't know that BJ was making that that call to just let Decide him live who? it was just everyone in the home died yeah. i'm led to believe that if devin had been there he also would have died same and what a wonderful example of why mental health is so destructive when it's not properly handled and why despite that it's not a fun responsibility that those of us with it have it is a grave responsibility for us to take care of um, and hey, also, again, Allie and I, you know, we can't know what resources are in your area, but if you look up community mental health or like your town and, you know, community therapy, there's almost always a place that will have it offered for you at a discounted rate so that it's a little more accessible. Although waiting lines right now are insane pretty much everywhere. So remember, once you're on a list, the list doesn't get longer. Sometimes overwhelming to hear months out, but better to get on it and have months go by than have months go by and have it be years out well in an emergency you've always got 988 available to you but there's psychology today especially for those of us in the states i can't really speak to outside of the united states but i can't imagine that it's so different in that you can look at you can research and and find something but 
I would encourage you reach out to your primary care doctor. Reach out oh, to yeah. behavioral health. Call the local hospital or urgent care. They can give you pamphlets on this. It's going to take a little bit of work on your part because it's literally 100% easier to not do anything. But in the long run, <laughs> you will thank yeah. yourself. I promise you because it will get harder if you don't. And my favorite reminder to anybody on the topic of therapy, if you meet a therapist that's not for you, that's okay. It's like dating. It is. You really have, I mean, it's weird because it's dating with a provider. So you have to find someone whose personality matches you, whose style matches you, and who can accurately and effectively treat what you're going through. So you might have a little bit of a process, but you'll find a good one. I love Patty. She's amazing. Fun fact, actually. When I was looking through my handy dandy DSM-5, something that was really interesting, at least for the schizoaffective disorder that I was looking at, probably says it elsewhere, but how important it was that the provider and the individual had similar cultural backgrounds. And the reason for that was that the the idea of delusions, because to somebody who does not believe in witchcraft, for example might hear of like Wiccan ideas and say that that's delusional. Right. Because it doesn't align with what they believe is true. Right. But if you've got somebody who believes in those things, then you would likely benefit the most from somebody who understands that, who might be able to pick up on the fact that maybe while you believe in that, hearing auditor being told these things is the red flag and not the not the belief in and of itself yeah the nuance of that cultural understanding is so important and for so many reasons you know that's a good example but there are so many different ways that can come across but just remember if you guys are getting along and you have a a good rapport with that person then that's really all you need and also sometimes certain people are good for seasons like I've had people who have had therapists that they love very much that they decided to work with someone either closer to their age or maybe in the same gender if they wanted to touch on sexuality stuff that you might not be comfortable talking about with someone of a different generation. Mm -hmm. So it's good to remember that some of those demographics are important to sort through for your healing as well. And therapists understand that. That's part of their scope in their world. So they will not be offended if you're like, I'm going to focus on this. I need someone who focuses on that with me. Heck yeah. But anyway, sorry. Thank you for um, listening to our rants and, and all of that. Armchair psychology and uh, being here with us. We love that you're here with us. And I know I specifically love it because I'm not the only one going through this damn roller coaster. Yeah, um, you guys can unbuckle now. Thank you. Thank you. Unleash the shoulder harness. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, if you're nauseous from that, like I am, just get to the trash can on the way out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do that. Um, but while you're reeling or recovering or whatever you need to do, please feel free to check out our Instagram. You can do that at About Time for True Crime Pod with periods in between every word. So that is A B O U T period, T I M E period, F O R period, T R U E period, C R I M E period, P O D because podcast was too long. But if you didn't want to well of course you want to see who we're talking about what we're talking about pod pets resources memes all that stuff but if you wanted to say more you could certainly do that via email but ali where would they send that so to? if you wanted to send us a cute little email we do answer i promise yes we do you would email us at about time the number four tc at gmail.com so that's a-b-o-u-t-t-i-m-e numeric four tc at gmail.com 
<sighs> well, we'll see you next week for more spooky true crime. We'll and see if you I next time. Do look at my clock. That was about time for true crime. Bye. Bye.